morning, everybody, or good afternoon, everybody, whenever it is that you get your podcast fix. My name is Derek Smith, and this is the Truth or Derek Show, or the Truth or Derek Podcast. Call it whatever you want. You know how we roll around here. Fun. We are dialing up fun today, because you know that we had promised you guys a little Joshua Shepherd, but he got pulled away for CNN for some of the shitstorm that's going on in Georgia right now. But you know what? We can do better. <laughs> Because uh, Franz Borghardt is back, and he brought with him Rachel Kaufman. You guys might remember her from last week. She was awesome, and she's come back for more. So we are Racheling it. We are Franzing. We are laying it down hard today. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll have Josh back at some point whenever he's not in such high demand. But uh, if you want to talk about what's in demand, then you're talking about www.podstars.net. Now... Get ready to take your podcasting career to the next level with www.podstars.net. Podstars is a talented and passionate community that will give you the opportunity to interview top professionals from a variety of industries where they will share their insights and experiences with your audience. Plus, everybody will have access to our exclusive celebrity catalog featuring some of the best in the business, both new and established. It is also free to join. As a member of Podstars, you can choose from the catalog of celebrities to interview on your podcast. And if interested, for an additional monthly fee of only $8.99 a month, you can upgrade to the Community Plan, a completely different and exciting catalog full of some of the best experts and professionals in their fields today, as well as access to everybody in the whole Podstars universe. It's a great way to invest in your podcast as you will save time and money by being able to book guests from one platform with an expansive catalog that is constantly being added to. So why wait? Join www.podstars.net now and start exploring all that they have to offer. You will not want to miss out on this amazing opportunity to elevate your podcasting career and be part of the exciting community. And an exciting community it is. Podstars is awesome. You guys know Josh is on there. Franz is on there. And Rachel will be on there soon. We're going to talk to them in a bit. We just had a few things, uh, a few things to go over. Again, uh, Rachel was on with Josh. Uh, two weeks ago, again, I wanted to apologize for disappearing on you once again, but, uh, the COVID got me and, um, you know, it's one of those things. I, I, I thought that I had had it a few times, uh, but with how much this knocked me on me, my ass, I can, I'm almost positive. I didn't because, um, man, it was something I felt, uh, a week ago Sunday, I felt a little bit off. The Monday I went to work, a little bit off. And then the, the the Monday night, I just, I knew something was off. Sure enough, I got up Tuesday morning. I couldn't even get out of bed. And you guys, you know, you know what I look like. You can Google it. I'm all muscle. I'm a hundo P muscle. I'm a machine. <laughs> but yeah, man, I couldn't even get out of bed. It was just, it was just like nothing I've ever experienced. So, uh. Of course, being the sharing guy that I am, I gave it to my wife, and she was sick too. So it was just trying to to function. And uh, thank God, the shoppers uh, drug mart, the pharmacy near our house, delivered. So we ordered a bunch of soup and a bunch of pills, and uh, it was good. The one good thing that came from this was in the four days because I couldn't eat that much. I lost seventeen pounds, uh, seventeen pounds of muscle, as I just said. So. Uh, I don't know if you're vaxxing or not vaxxing or what the deal is, but if there's even the slightest chance that you can uh, try to to get this a little bit off, if you're one of those people, like I'm self-employed, so I really can't take time off of work, I was able to squeeze the Wednesday out, but I had to go in on the Thursday, and it was just like, 
uh, you don't want to say that you phoned it in, but that was one of those days where uh, one of the girls that works for me who kind of had to do everything while I just kind of sat there and tried to keep my head from exploding. So the whole um, the whole experience, uh, COVID, I do not recommend it. That is a one-star deal. And the upside, I got to eat sick food because, you know, soup is one of my favorite foods. Uh, you know, I've talked about this before because we talk about food all the time on this show. I eat like a salad every day. Like I eat my dinner late. That's one of my bad things. And it's usually something, you know, cheesy, <laughs> buttery and delicious. But I have like, you know, sometimes I have yogurt for breakfast or a half a bagel. And I usually have a soup for lunch or a salad, that sort of thing. Like it's not like I'm sitting there eating you know, five cheeseburgers and a Diet Coke for lunch, that sort of thing. I mean, I do from time to time, you know, we'll have our, our lunches out. And we always love going to the food court again. If you follow me on Twitter at Derek Vampire Slayer, you can, um, I'm always putting up crap that we're doing in our, in our uh, own time off the podcast time, but we're back and I got a bunch of stuff lined up for the next few weeks. Josh will eventually come back. Uh, Franz and I were joking that he just kind of left us out in the backyard. Um, with yesterday's news, or left us uh, sitting on the sidewalk uh, after a softball game promising he'd pick us up, and then he ran off to CNN to spread his knowledge elsewhere. But he'll be back. They always come back. So, so much stuff to get to. we got to thank our man. Uh, <laughs> First of all, you guys saw last week we played, uh, I believe her name was Julie from New Jersey, sent me... Um, that she accidentally hit the podcast on the point five speed and made me sound like I was drunk, which I was not, but <laughs> just definitely got a kick out of that. So uh, she sent in some clips from the last show. Uh, I guess I had some trouble pronouncing something, and then uh, our man Johnny in Pittsburgh sent the same thing. So as promised, here comes not drinking but drinking Derek. But I ran into Home Depot. He's like runs over and he's like Derek. And uh, I I can usually I bake it or just <laughs> you know do some uh, inane chit chat for a few seconds until you kind of catch on to it because like on the one hand I'm forgetful I'm not stupid <laughs> <laughs> it will eventually come to me so. He comes over and he gives me a hug. He's like, oh, my God, Derek, you know, <laughs> who are you? Uh, oh, I'm telling you, man, I've been listening to my podcast as well as uh, a whole bunch of other ones at the point five speed. And it's just, uh, again, I don't know what it shows to my level of maturity, but that's just awful, isn't it? So yes, that'll definitely be a thing. We'll pick out uh, we'll pick out a whole bunch more. I, I, there there was a, there was a couple other ones, but uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll do a whole slow motion show one day. <laughs> a bunch of other stuff got sent to me. Now we talked uh, we talked a little while ago about uh, you know getting caught in the elevator singing Taylor Swift. Uh, oh, just a bunch of other stuff. This I guess technically I'm a Swifty because I love that song Antihero. So uh, from that again. Everybody, I love it out there. Always send me stuff. I know Lawyer Mystery Maven, I'll give you a shout out. She sent me some good stuff. She sent me one of our uh, Need a Lawyer little uh, things we do on Twitter. Johnny, uh, Pittsburgh, Julie, uh, shout out to everybody. Christy in uh, Colorado and Sean and everybody. Always, if you come across anything weird, you come across anything funny or anything stupid that I did, 
always send it over again on Twitter at Derek Vampire Slayer. You can just Google the the Truth or Derek show or the Truth or Derek podcast. It's usually the ones that come up. You see my face on there, my big my <laughs> my skinny. Uh, now that I've lost weight, my skinny bald face. Uh, just send me a message there or an email at podstars with a z dot connect at outlook dot com. Again, you come across anything good, let me know about it or anything again with me, good, bad. Uh, we got a bunch of new listeners. I saw the a bunch of new downloads. New Jersey was still pulling on at number one, I believe, but there was a couple on the West Coast. Again, if there's anything uh, that you like or that you hate, let me know. Somebody sent me <laughs> something with Taylor Swift now. It was, um, they went on, not eBay. I, it was on, uh, it, it was Craigslist or Kijiji. Uh, people were selling mason jars of rain that they collected from outside the Taylor Swift concert. So this Taylor Swift thing now, I, I don't know if, I mean, everyone knows that she's huge, but there's a thing now that I guess people just go, uh, I, I think it was in Philly because it's an open-air stadium. A lot of the stuff she does, I know the one in San Francisco is an open-air stadium, so people will just go hang around the stadium because the noise is so loud that it comes out. So somebody brought a whole bunch of, I guess, mason jars and started collecting rain. From the Taylor Swift concert. So Taylor <laughs> Taylor Swift rain. And they were selling it at Kijiji for like 300 bucks. And there was bids. or Maybe it was eBay. But there was a couple of bids on it. And there was somebody else. I, I don't think they sold it because the, the asking price was too much. But they were selling their contacts. I think it was 10 grand. They were selling their contacts. They had watched the whole Taylor Swift concert in. And then, of course, you know, you Google that just to... to get nonsense to talk about on your podcast then it comes up uh we we talk about uh well we, we talk about brady a little bit later but there was a whole thing with him you know if, if, there was rumors that he was going to retire so he threw his last uh what they thought was his last touchdown pass and somebody paid god i want to say it was maybe one hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars for that ball and then sure enough, he came out of retirement. And then all you own is another football that he threw a touchdown with, which I think is worth about seven or $800. But when he announced the retirement, the, 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 the real one, when he actually retired, I guess he was sitting on a beach in Tampa somewhere. And then somebody used whatever was in the background and all that to triangulate the spot where he was sitting and went and collected that sand. <laughs> and they were t- selling Tom Brady retirement sand. And then, of course, you're reading that story, and they're like, well, this is... And that was like... Those were crazy. Those were going for a 1000 There was bids on those, too. They were anywhere between, like, six or 700 and 1500 And then underneath that, there was, I guess, because of renovation or death at... Um, not Disney World, though. The one in Los Angeles. I guess they were getting rid of the log ride. You guys... I don't... Um, Wet and Wild something. I don't remember the name of it. But you remember that that you know that big plastic log ride where you sit in it and it would go around kind of that lazy river and up hills and down Splash Mountain. That was it. Sorry, Splash Mountain. So <laughs> when they announced they were getting rid of that, people all went over there and started collecting water out of the basin at Splash Mountain and selling it online. And you know you want to say you worry about the younger generation. So you, I don't know if that's stupid or if that's brilliant because I believe that had bids on it too. So. I don't know if you're out and about and there's Taylor Swift or Tom Brady or Splash Mountain hanging around. Make sure you have a mason jar with you. Collect something and maybe you can make a couple of bucks. It's not it's not crazy if it works. Speaking of wasting money on stupid shit. (laughs) 
I know this was this was in the news. It's actually happening in a few different places in the U.S., but there was one particular one near me where um, they have. You guys know I'm a dog park guy. I have a Bernese Mountain Dog in Nova. I love her very much. And uh, again, for a bigger guy, you guys wouldn't guess that. Um, even some of my my work days, if I get home early enough. But on every single day off for the last three and a half years, I go to the dog park every day. Usually walk for about an hour, hour and a half, maybe two hours. You know, get the get them steps in. Yeah, big dog park guy. The dog likes it. We get some exercise. We have a whole bunch of friends there. It's a whole thing. It's a whole. Uh, it, it, it's a whole thing. And uh, a shout out to Kayla and Derek, some of our people that we walk with. And so somebody sent me a news story that there's a dog park. Uh, way east of us, where <laughs> they have signs up where if dogs make noise, you can be fined up to $1,500 at a dog park. So, like, they've outlawed barking. And this started to pop up. I believe it was in Seattle, in Washington, uh, and Oregon. Like, just, I, I don't know. It was a West Coast and an East Coast thing. But it started popping up everywhere where, I guess, people that lived around the dog park got sick of the barking, which I kind of, I, I sort of get. I mean, barking and panting drives my wife nuts. It doesn't bother me. But then that being said, if you hated that noise, I get it. Like I know um, a lot of the Costco's up here sell gas and it's a significantly cheaper, especially me with the damn navigator I drive. It's 10 cents uh, cheaper um, a liter. So that would be 40 cents a gallon, which is a significant savings because it usually costs me about 145 bucks to fill up. You can usually get it for about 130 if you go to Costco. Now the the beef people have up here is it's not so bad where I live because I'm in uh, I'm just outside of Toronto but in Toronto there's one and it's the worst Costco on the planet to go to like you guys probably have one of these like Costco or a Sam's Club where it's rammed all the time so this uh, this particular location there is and I never understood the whole waiting an hour an hour and a half in line for gas because my time is more valuable than the ten bucks I could save but there's a hundred cars there idling. 18 hours a day. I, I don't know. They open at what 9 a.m. and they close at, you know, 10 or whatever. So the people around there started to complain that it reeks like, you know, exhaust, which again, it does. But, you know, that would bother me, but the dog barking doesn't. So I guess uh, what is the, what is <laughs> my wife always says I'm a NIMBY. <laughs> I, I'm okay with it as long as it's nowhere near my house. And plus, for those of us who think the smell of gas doesn't bother me. And that not a lot bothers me, but the stuff that does, man, I'll tell you. That's why I like having the podcast, because I was like, you remember, what I, was, I gotta tell you what grinds my gears. And then you just come on here and you piss and moan. I know when we first moved out here, because we grew up in Toronto, and um, you know, you first move out to a, to a new uh, new neighborhood, and you're, like, you're looking for a new joint for, you know, Greek food, burgers, pizza, that sort of thing. My wife came across the this one guy that reviewed stuff, and he had like he had like four or five hundred reviews, and they were all negative. They were all one star reviews. There was not a single five star review. It didn't matter what it was. It was like a dog grooming place. This place was shit. The pizza joint. This place was shit. He hated the Walmart. He hated the Costco. It was just amazing that somebody was like, I don't know if you just trying to get some heat or that's kind of your thing, but it was just it was one. Like hundreds and hundreds of negative reviews. It's like he was reviewing like parks and mechanics and thinking things can't be that bad. Like he read the bowling alley. Well, I couldn't park anywhere near the doors. <laughs> I remember there was, they just opened up one of those places. It was a lot of fun. I think we're going in a week or two. 
uh, where the robots bring your sushi. And again, this is why, I mean, I love Google. I leave a lot of reviews. for. I try to leave mine positive. I don't really like to slam on small businesses and stuff. And, you know, you Google it up to uh, make sure you're, you're going to the right spot. And somebody had given this place a one-star review because they st- <laughs> they stacked all their outdoor furniture in front of the building. Because <laughs> you're obviously looking for, like, good, you know, food tips or, you know, this is the best burger, that sort of thing. But no. Somebody gave it a one-star review because their, <laughs> their outdoor furniture was stacked in front of the building. I'm not sure if it was the same guy, but I'll have a... You know what? I'll do for next episode. I'll, I'll get uh, Rebecca to find it, and I'll read you some of the reviews. We'll have negative review tone. And speaking of which, uh, I don't get too much negative feedback anymore. I know in my first couple of episodes, I used to sing all the time, and you guys hated it, but... I think you started to come around, so just know that uh, I love and appreciate all you guys. Thank you for hitting the download switch and uh, spreading the good word. I know we got a few new listeners all, all out and about, so let's continue to grow it, get the good word out there. It helps when you have great guests. I told you uh, Franz Borghard is back. He went on a on a religious retreat, and uh, Josh wasn't able to come with him, but Rachel Coffin steps in and does a heck of a job, let me tell you. There was one other thing we had to get to before we get to the guests was um, we talked about this uh, on the show a little bit uh, with some of the weird shit when people are cheating doing stuff. So there was the pie-eating contest cheating. There was the the fisher the fishermen that were cheating. I know we, we followed up on that. Those guys got, uh, they had to give back like a $100,000 boat and uh, pay a fine on top of that, and they had to do 10 days in jail. Well, there was another one that came up because, again, one thing I love about Google, just when they know you and they're sending you like the good articles and the stuff that you want to look at, was uh, there was a paddleboard contest cheating. <laughs> so I guess somewhere, I think it was in, uh, I want to say uh, North or South Carolina. Uh, I'll talk. I'll talk about this more because I have to go back into the other ones to get the the cheating because like the the, the pie eating cheating. Uh, there was obviously the chess cheating. You guys know that. Uh, the guy put one of those, uh, I guess, if you're apart from your partner, you can get uh, like uh, something that vibrates your genitals, but it's controlled by the other person's phone. So this chess player, I guess, put one in his uh, rectum. <laughs> this is a medical term for it. And then somebody would, uh, you know, watching it with either a computer or that was a really good, uh, a really good chess player that would say, you know, like, We'll have like a uh, Morse code for what to do. So yes, uh, the chess cheating, fishing, and all that has spilt over into paddleboard cheating. And uh, we'll do a whole paddleboard cheating thing next week, and uh, as well as we'll do maybe a, we'll try to do a top five. I'll look up all the stuff that people have been caught at cheating, and we'll see if we can find the top five dumbest ones. Especially if uh, again the the fishermen, uh, they they the one of the prizes they won was like a hundred and thirty thousand dollar boat they had to give back. And I would imagine there was a there was a bunch of stuff on top of that. They also got suspended for three years, which I'm curious with after that three years, you know, like if they have an axe to grind, if there's like this big build up to them coming back, it's like the bad boys of fishing are back. Because although the guys are obviously degenerates, that would be hilarious if they actually had like uh, like bad guys, you know, like everyone roots against them, you know, like kind of like we do with Tom Brady. We'll talk about that a little bit later, too. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers. we got a lot to discuss. Again, uh, Josh and Franz are coming by. I have your uh, I have your messages about the Bezos' wedding. 
That was a that was a funny question. Some top fives. Where where we used to live, and uh, it's called Scarborough. It's right next to Toronto. Uh, somebody had asked when we were talking about the dog uh, the dog walking thing last time. Just stupidity, because you know you get some assholes that have bad dogs and stuff, but it doesn't happen that often. But it's more the people. Like I remember during COVID and stuff. Okay, I understand there's rules and stuff, and you're outside, but. It was just before that with our last dog, before we moved out to, to again, the suburb of Toronto we live in now, which if you like traffic, move to Toronto because it's bad and it's always bad. There's no day where you're going to fly in. At least, at least it kills the surprise. But we used to, when we used to live in Toronto out uh, back of where we were, there was like a ravine system, you know, it went like a, like a mile in both directions. So you could get a good walk in, you know, let the dog sniff some trees, that sort of thing. But when you were going up to the other side of it, you had to cross like a railway spur. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar, a railway spur is uh, one of those kind of a dead end um, leg on a railway that they use to deliver, you know, wood or oil, that sort of thing. So um, when we were crossing over there one time, there was uh, what they called CN Rail Police. They were like train track police. And... It was similar to, like, during COVID, you get some of these people that work for the city that just, you know, they, they think they're out saving the world. Because <laughs> a guy would come over and be like, does your dog have a license? Like, of course. You know, like, they have rabies certificates, all that sort of thing. But, like, I'm not trying to be standoffish, but I'm also, like, I'm not going to put up with anybody's shit. <laughs> so it's like, you know, show me your dog license, you know. I, I, I don't think you'd be out of line to tell the guy to fuck off. So it was the same when we lived in Toronto. We were out walking, and you had to walk across this railway spur. And uh, a couple of guys come over, and they're like, oh, you know, we're like the the railway police. You know, you're trespassing. So I was like, dude, I'm out walking my dog. Like, you know, what of it? And he's like, well, you know, you you could be, uh, you know, ticketed for trespassing. And I said, yeah, I heard you the first time, and I'm just walking over here to get over to the ravine area. And uh, the guy, he just keeps repeating his, well, you know, well, this is private property and all that. And I was like, dude, I'm not going to show you my fucking driver's license. Or I didn't even know if I had it on me. Like, I was wearing pajamas, taking my dog for a walk. So, uh, the guys, he just, it's funny, especially if somebody repeats themselves. He goes, yeah, I heard you the first time. And the guy's like, oh, well, you know, uh, you, you could be arrested. I was like, you're going to arrest me? The train track police. You know, come on, come get me. See what happens. So yes, uh, don't let your dog bark. It could cost you fifteen hundred bucks, and don't walk your dog across train tracks, or else you could go to jail. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though, if I was going to go to jail, I'm definitely hiring uh, some of our next guests because you guys know what time it is. It is it is Franz Borghardt, and it is Rachel Kaufman time. Let's go. Oh baby, you wanted spicy Louisiana. Hold on, let me fan. Louisiana oh. liquor. Oh, baby, you wanted spicy Louisiana liquor and legal advice? Then you're going to get it, because today, our Baton Rouge badass is back. You know him from Court TV, killing it all over social media all the time. You know him from Legally Served on Talk 107.3 with Brian Haldane, and you know him for telling it like it is. The Octopus King himself, Franz Borghardt, and octopi, or octopuses, never travel alone. And in this case, he stopped by Atlanta, Georgia, and grabbed... The toughest knockdown drag out defense attorney in the lower 48. She is the laser focused. She is the one who knocks. She is the cerebral assassin, Rachel <laughs> Hoffman. How's it going? Ah, you may not know me, but now you do. So, true story. Everybody thinks that my favorite 
Georgia attorney is Josh, the Joshua Shepherd. Not true. I have said on more than one occasion on air that Kaufman is my spiritual unicorn. That's who I wish I could be like. So I want to be I want to be a Baton Rouge badass like Boosie badass and Franz. Well, you're actually you have you have to be a badass because with the shit storm that is your legal system right now, it seems like uh, Georgia, if you're a lawyer, is the best place to be. But if you're anybody else, it's the worst place to be. Yeah, um, there's it's like a it's a failure to thrive environment where some of us still thrive. <laughs> so uh, speaking of uh, the shitstorm that's coming, uh, what is with Fanny Willis? Like, I mean, we all kind of knew that this was happening. Okay. Oops. I don't but understand. Let... I, I don't understand why it's the big deal that it is. I understand it's an issue, but maybe you can walk us through it a little bit. Yes. So the I just want I'll explain the allegations. I'll simplify them. But basically, one of the one of Trump's co defendants filed a motion um, to have. Fonnie Willis and the special prosecutor, Nathan Wade, recused from the case um, because not only are they alleged to have carried on a romantic relationship um, throughout the process of whatever you want to call it. He's he's still married, um, but but he is but he's separated. But so they started a romantic relationship. But unlike most of Sonny Willis's employees, he was brought in as a special prosecutor being paid at a, a very high, like a $250, um, I think, hourly rate um, for all the work that he was putting into the Trump investigation, which involved a seven month, seven or eight month special grand jury um, paying out, being paid hourly. It ended up totaling to significantly more than her, than the people, the salaried um, experienced attorneys in her office are being paid to handle several cases at a time. And, you know, when you're working for a DA's office, you don't have the right to also take on personal injury cases and other stuff. So they're, so these regular attorneys in her office don't, you know, they're, they have a salary and he gets brought in and is making like $300,000 a year because he's billing significant hours. He's, he's also not- giving special services. He's giving special services. Here's the real kicker is that she hired three special prosecutors Two of which have significant felony experience. I think it, one one does RICO cases. He's like the RICO guru. The other one, um, she does appeals. And then you have Nathan Wade, who has apparently never tried a felony case. Um, and he is a municipal court judge by uh, by appointment where he handles traffic tickets. Um, but he was brought on hourly and then also allowed to continue to make money on the side. Pretty good deal. I was just going to say that's probably one of the first times that a man has been paid for sex. <laughs> well, so, but so then the issue is, is that she, she's paying him all this money and then he's paying for things for her. So it's giving the appearance that like she's dragging this out or she has an interest in the prosecution in in spending a lot of time investigating and prosecuting it because then it it then her boyfriend gets a lot more money and then she gets to go on fancier trips and all this other stuff. Meanwhile, Apparently, he isn't disclosing any of this, um, was not disclosing any of this to his um, his wife, who, you know, in the process of the divorce proceedings, he had been held in contempt for not turning all this information over previously, which is how this all came about. Um, but so anyway, so what's the issue? The issue is not that she has a, a workplace romance. That's not the issue. The issue is that it appears that she, for her own personal benefit um, and his and her boyfriend's personal benefit, are, prosec- are are going forward with this case um, and prosecuting it to the fullest so that they can continue to be together and get paid for it. 
Um, now, do you think, yeah. This, yeah, like obviously running up the bill works well for him, but you know, like we've talked about Rico trials a lot lately, just because what's going on with him and YNW and all that. If this wasn't a, a Trump related situation, could this, I don't want to say open and shut, but could this have been kind of taken care of by now? By whatever means? No. Or, no? It would have been slower. There'd be less pressure. And very rarely do prosecutors ever get held accountable for anything. It's only because it's only because we're dealing with these high stakes criminal defendants who have a lot of pull in the media within their own community. And they have they've a vested interest in the, in in taking the integrity of this investigation and throwing it out the window. Well, unless we forget. Hold on. Yeah. Lest we forget Rico cases. It's kind of like me telling you, instead of just going into the forest and cutting the tree down that I want you to cut, we're going to burn the entire forest down to get to that one tree because it's not exactly an easy way of prosecuting. They could, there are easier ways. Nothing efficient, nothing efficient about it. Yeah, nothing it's, it seems magnificent because you can lump everybody together, but it's not, it would be easier just to prosecute Trump. I mean. It, yeah, well, it just, they could, we could have been done by now. So the whole thing is now this is yeah. going to affect the election. The appearance of impropriety is really the issue here. It's the it's the fact that whether or not she got kickbacks or whatever it was, it just looks bad now. And that could affect the integrity of the prosecution, which if she cares about justice or even like our country and what's going to happen, who's going to be the next president. You have to let somebody who is who does not create the appearance of impropriety handle the case. I think she, I, it's not even whether she did or didn't do any of these things. It's the appearance of it. Now, well, here, then there's the secondary issue that Donald Trump's lawyers um, filed in their motion to recuse. I know a little bit about this. So they, they filed they filed a motion adding the issue that she went to the Big Bethel Church, which is a predominantly African-American church, and basically said that she's not going to be the one using the race card. It's them that's using the race card. She used them and they. It's like, who are you talking about? Creating <laughs> racial divisions within Fulton County to black Fulton County jurors, potential jurors. And that's in, that's an ethical violation um, trying to affect the I mean, to to add that that racial division in in this whole thing. She's saying they didn't they didn't ask about the other two prosecutors, special prosecutors. They just asked about the black one. And it, you're not having sex with you're not paying, you know, you're not having sex with the other two and they're both qualified. So so I don't know. So so there's See, you guys, uh, like outside of the the American public, as people that are involved in the court system, like, do you see something like this and think overall, like, you have a concern about the level of intelligence of somebody like this saying they're in charge of something that's so important in my system, and you're making such stupid mistakes, like not knowing that this would come out, and then playing to the the the, the race card and all this sort of thing, like. You sit back and say, you know what? These are the people that are making decisions in my cases. They're holding other people accountable. They're spending their lives trying to hold other people accountable, and they will take no accountability. And, Does it surprise me? No. I've been <laughs> not to Canada for a second. I've been to Canada. Let's let's not get too high and mighty. Wait, what? Wait, what? I said I've been to Canada. Let's not get too high and mighty. I love Canada. But, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. This is the question I posed last time we talked about this. This is the question I posed to, to Rachel this time is think about all the other serious criminals committing crimes or allegedly committing crimes in that county. Right. And there could be some there could be some really serious cases in that courtroom docketed in that courtroom. What happens to all those other cases while this logjam is happening? 
Like, oh, are we still moving all those? Nothing. Say again? No. Yeah. No, we just keep them in our jail until they die. And that's what they've done. And that's what that's what happens. All these other cases get pushed aside. All for them to even so ultimately the three co-defendants that I think that have taken pleas in the Trump case so far didn't even have to take pleas to Rico count. They let them take pleas like misdemeanors and first offender counts. So it's like you're going to spend eight months on a special grand jury investigation and dick around for a year. We have an election coming up. But no, this is the typical pace. And if you don't matter, it goes slower. And you know what's what else is interesting is it's not a defense attorney issue per se, like only because we, we talked with uh, Cheryl McCollum uh, a little while back and she said from the police standpoint, it works the same where you guys have people that are innocent or not, you know, guilty of what they're saying. They are sitting in jail where she's saying the logjam works the same way. You have people that are guilty, you know, red handed, that sort of thing that are out walking around. That's the same thing. The logjam in the oh. system just it doesn't work for anybody. If no. my client is out, if my client is out, why try today when I can try Six years months. from now? Yeah, exactly. If my client is out, if my client yeah. is sitting patiently in a prison, and we're talking years for something that should go to trial in, in six months, that's not it's not exactly justice, right? No. And the problem is, is when you create these law these unnecessary log jams, which are political. I mean, look, regardless of how you feel about Trump. This was a political witch hunt. Why else use Rico? You oh, disagree? Well, well, I don't think you need Rico. I mean, I don't think it well, needs that, to be. Oh, yeah. That's, if you want to go after Trump, I'm okay with that. You don't need to use Rico. That's my thing. Yes. That you don't is, need to use Rico for young thug. Not everybody. They, have, they overuse party to a crime. And, you know, when you add four co-defendants to every criminal incident, well, that's going to that's going to jam the system, too. Um, if you blame people for what other people do, I think there's some criminal defense attorneys who I, mean, I believe I believe in accountability. So this is what's maybe I'm not a great lawyer to go like lie for you. I'm really not. Um, but I love to handle your truth, get to the bottom of it and may it either set you free at a trial or maybe plead to the court and be, become a better person. That's really my like that's what I want for um yeah, that's what I want for my clients. So I feel like it, I could really take, I can go to the prosecutor's office. I mean, we could filter, they need a filter. But the problem is people in power want to expand power. They want to, oh, they want to create more money for their budget. They want to add employees. They're not trying to like, like a company that's having budget issues doesn't just go ask for more money. Um, they, they try to like cut, cut, trim the fat and become a more efficient system. The court system oh, yeah. and the government in general have no interest in doing that. To be sure, if the allegations in the filing today are correct, um, the only people winning in this case right now are the lawyers. The defense attorneys are probably billing by the hour. I'm assuming oh, yeah. they're billing by the hour, and they're making buckets of money. Yeah. And they're really good. From what I've heard, they're doing a really yeah. good job. The criminal are billing by the hour? They don't really do that. I mean, at least I don't. That's not something that usually happens in Georgia. I don't know. If, is that normal? In but I would imagine that for Trump, you think it's a flat fee? I have no idea. But I, Steve said I was dead serious. And by adding the racial thing that she the the concern about the racial divisiveness, I think that's actually a better claim than the original one. I'm pretty sure it's the Trump case where we've seen some some of the hourly billing stuff. Like I, I don't I'm almost positive it was this case uh, where they <laughs> they showed some people were billing 24 hours for a 24 hour day. So, wait, some people just Nathan Wade. I don't think yeah. the other two were. Brilliant. So, so I cannot speak for Rachel in a normal jury trial. If I'm keeping track of my time and, and I, I charge in Louisiana, we charge flat. 
we keep track of our time, but it's it's all flat fee. In a normal felony jury trial, like a 12-person jury, it could be easily a 15 to 18-hour day. Because, I mean, it's not just in courtroom. It's all getting up early, prepping and making sure you're ready, going through the day. At some point, you got to stop and eat dinner, and then you're going to decompress, and then you're going to prep for the next day. So, I mean, these 24 hours is a bit ridiculous. But, like, eh, 15, 16 hours, I, you know. They haven't gone to trial. I know. I don't. I, don't I mean, what are you talking that. about? They're they're going. They're taking twenty four hours when they're reading documents and shit. This isn't trial yet. You know what? It's actually interesting. <laughs> Think about guys, that. It's it's interesting that you guys brought up the the billing uh, part of this because we had somebody ask us a question a few weeks ago about um, Rex Hoyerman. Now, assuming not uh, a serial killer, obviously needs a lawyer, but. How do you guys deal with um, somebody that comes in that has an ongoing, uh, you know, if, okay, I've been found, I'm guilty of this, I'm sort of guilty of this, that sort of thing, but in the next, you know, two to two months to five years, more of this is going to come out. How do you approach that, not just from a billing standpoint, from, from a defensive standpoint? I'll let you, Franz, you first. So when I was a baby public defender starting my career, I got appointed to represent a serial killer in Baton Rouge. One of the, we had three major serial killers made national news. I got the third one. He was the least publicized one because he was killing high risk victims. And for your listeners, high risk low value, yeah, yeah, low value drug, prostitutes, human beings. But we just call them high risk. He was already doing fifty years on another conviction in another jurisdiction. So it was basically that the state was playing with house money, and I just it was it was. One count of murder, but there were at least four or five bodies that had hit the ground that they were trying to lump together using other crimes evidence. And basically, I mean, there was no negotiations because he was already doing 50 years. There was nothing they could offer him that would entice him. Um, There was nothing that he was willing to do that was was reasonable in their minds. And so it was playing with house money. Right. And so it was just, I handled it like I would handle as a, as a spunky young public defender. I handled it like I would handle anything. Like I had a chance of winning, which I didn't, um, (laughs) made a great record, made a great record, had a lot of fun trying the case. Um, I probably put in, it, it was, it was the most time consuming thing I've ever done. It was the longest trial I've ever done. And it was emotionally the one trial that, so, so I cannot speak for Rachel, but I will tell you after a long emotional trial, it all catches up to you, right? You're, you're, you're going through it. You're in the moment, you're, you're, you're powering through. And at the end of the trial, no matter what happens, it's like you hit the brakes and it finally emotionally hits you. What has been going on for the last week, two weeks where you haven't been getting sleep, you haven't been eating right. You know, God knows what's been going on with your family and, and those you care about. That was the hard one, right? And so for me, it was less stress because he was already doing 50 years. So it was like, what, what am I going to do to mess it up? He's already spending life in jail. But it was also, it, those are those are like, marathon trials are rough. They're, they are rough. Um, you know what, though? It, it shows that you have some, like a, a passion. It shows that you have a heart because it's, you know, they stuck you in the game when you were losing 70 to nothing. And you, you, that's you know, our job. You tried, and then you ended up losing seventy to nothing, and you had, you know, an emotional attachment to it. You have to lick your wounds. And, yeah. yeah. So it's I hard said to... in that, in that case, I said that if the jury deliberated for more than forty-five minutes, 
it was a victory and they deliberated for an hour and a half, but they did eat lunch. So <laughs> you're so funny. <laughs> what if they build for that? Time? It was fun though. It was a lot of fun. And and in great fact, experience. not, yeah, it was great experience. And in fact, the crazy part was the victim in the case actually associated with another serial killer. And so our defense was going to be not my serial killer, that serial killer. Um, that evidence at the last minute got excluded, which was really weird. And then it, then it just became like, okay, well, it was two weeks of me getting hit in my head. Well, I didn't get hit in my head. The, 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 the defendant got hit in the head. Um, and the kicker was I had so much fun. I actually really liked him as a human being. I mean, monster, yes, human being, loved him as a human being. Afterwards, he filed civil suit against his entire team. I had like, I had like six attorneys working on it. It was a lot of fun. And he filed suit against all of us. So, but he never had a served. So like the suit never went anywhere, but when the statute of limitations runs on it, I can like write a book about it because he waived privilege by filing suit against me. Um, but it was, it was that I'll, I'll tell you, Fighting an uphill battle is not a problem. That that's, I mean, everything's an uphill battle. Generally, when you're a defense attorney, um, if I could, I, I will tell you, it was much easier trying jury trials when I was a prosecutor. Obviously, when I could set. Yeah, I mean, I've been asked before what was so hard. I mean, what was the hardest part of, of being a, a prosecutor? And I'll say, determining if I was doing a good job or not. And people are like, "What do you mean?" And I'm like, "Well, if I win as a prosecutor, I'm I'm kind of supposed to win, right? Like." Like, oh, how yeah. do you measure success? How do you measure success when it's like a loaded deck? Well, like, you oh, guys I get won. the A pluses in life, and that's right, why. right. So, I mean, <laughs> and, and again, and again, on the one on the clients I really, really, really care about, and the ones I really, really worry about are generally the ones I think really didn't do it, and those are the ones that keep me up at night. So. I could just see the look on Franz's face after the trial, and he gets the letter that the guy wants a civil suit. You're like, yeah, you're a serial killer. I like you, you son of a bitch. Why are you suing me? They have nothing else to do. Yeah. That's what happens. Back then, I would have, back then, I was very butthurt about it. Yeah. It's, today, well, when you have I to get, deal with it, you have to deal with yeah, it. Today, today, I'm like, just trying to murder a case. And, and now, my, my, my client who, who wants his, a complete copy of his boxes of discovery. That I send to the the, the the Department of Correction prison who files the bar complaint against me and then and then talks to me like we're chums. I'm just no, exactly. like he's just, do, he's just doing he his just job. Wanted you to, okay. He just wanted you to call him. Yeah, that's okay. Literally. I mean, I think some of it ends up just being like they just want contact and it's like a way to and and, and you know, in some situations, yeah, we start liking our clients. I mean, you have if we some of them I can't stand, and I've won for ones I can't stand, and I've sometimes I've lost cases or, you know, the jury's found them guilty when they're not, you know, it's a very uneven handed system, I guess, just in general. Um, but I'm haunted by cases and jury trials regularly. I actually, but I also feel like I have amnesia as like a form of trauma where I just don't want to remember. But every time I'm like at the grocery store, I like look at people I'm like, are you that white guy in the case? That, like, yeah. <laughs> but I, th like, I, I think, like, I think you have to have that. I mean, there, there's so many different facets to what you guys do. It's like, you have to be heartless, but you have to have a heart and you have to work with these people, whether you like them or not. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a job. You obviously have to make money. So there's it, it just sounds like, you know, when that phone rings, you're like, oh, God, what is it? Gonna so be now? I have you a mix on at of, the beginning. Now I'm like, I've, so no. I have a mix. 
I have a mix of practice. I do a lot of private work, and then I do a lot of federal, what we call Criminal Justice Act court appointments. Um, so I have a mix of indigent clients and clients that I charge a lot of money for to balance out all that. And I will tell you, I will tell you, it's really interesting because if I were to tell you which of the two I'm generally closer with, it's generally the indigent ones. Those are the ones where I'm having meetings with grandmothers, aunts, you know, the family, the only family that this client has that actually cares about him on the outside because they're incarcerated um, on the off chance that I can get him out on a federal detention, which I'm just in a jurisdiction where they like putting people in jail and federal detention. Um, I love doing those cases. Um, and the reality is, is that a lot of my private cases are not like like 20 something year old gets popped with felony drugs where I know the result's going to be mitigation, some kind of disposition where they're not ruined for the rest of their life. Um, the meat and potato meat and potato cases I have where I do most of my litigation are the are the federal indigent ones, because, I mean, it just is what it is. Um, so. Now, I just want to switch gears a tiny bit here because uh, you were yeah. talking about what you do. I know you work in a lot of uh, you've had a lot of sex crime cases. It's, I, I don't know if it's different with the, the Vince McMahon because he's older or it's because people in his circle, are, you know, hard to flip flop on him. But well, he's been up to this for a long time. I mean, from so let's not let's not lose sight of the very poorly reported lawsuit. His lawsuit's not about the sex allegations. It's about he didn't pay the hush money. Yeah. And this is an important I taught a, a law class the other day where 10 minutes at the beginning of the law class, I stressed the importance of if you're going to enter into a hush agreement with somebody, the most important part of the hush agreement is paying the hush money. If you're not going to pay the hush money, you don't have hushing. And if you don't <laughs> have hushing, it's like, yeah, is Vince a horrible human being? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> pay your hush money, dude. Pay your hush money. It's that easy. It's is a civil that, case, though. It's a it, civil case. And it's going to, and what I bet is going to happen, Rachel is I bet it's going to spawn other allegations from other individuals that are emboldened, and maybe that's a good thing, to come forward because of what this individual is doing. It's like a reverse Rico case. You kind of go for one, and then you get all the other people to come up and say, yo, you know what? This is kind of what's happening. This was good. Because, like, again, like you said, is he a horrible human being? Everyone says probably. But you know, I've, I would bet you dollars to donuts right now. This is not, uh, this is not a one-time situation. No, he's he's getting caponed, by the way. If he pays the hush money, there's no civil suit. So like like and unless we forget, the dude has billions of dollars. Like, pay the hush money. <laughs> he's being extorted. Yeah. Is well that's is, not okay either. Is is a hush money agreement sort of a boilerplate thing, or have you guys come across this where it's kind of really in the specific? I, I don't get involved in any of that. No. So so we no. we have rules in my jurisdiction. We have rules to where I cannot. We call it compounding a felony, and <laughs> yeah, I it's cannot something like that. <laughs> yeah, I cannot. I cannot. I cannot perpetuate a civil resolution to get rid of a criminal case. Although it happens often where I'm like, I make a victim whole, my client makes a, a victim whole, and that resolves a criminal case because the victim at that point says, well, I've been made, made whole, I'm good. You know, you can't really do that in sex offense cases, but like you can't, 
it's a good rule because what the rule does is it stops me from doing it and then it stops the accuser from extorting right because the accuser can't go to you and say if you don't give me 10 million dollars i'm going to prosecute i'm going to get you prosecuted and this that and the other it it, it it's a good rule right um legal black only dis- yeah the only disagreement i have with rachel on this one is the hush agreement where it starts is what makes me feel icky if he's proposing 10 million dollars to keep her quiet it's icky if she says that hey, give me $10 million or I'm going to blast you. It's icky, but it's a different kind of ickiness on both of those, right? So sometimes just, the... Yeah, that's something that's going to be hush. Keep it between the two of them, and I want right, nothing to do. Right, that's, if, you, yeah. if you guys want to look at a very famous hush money case, the Tiger Woods, when that whole thing went down, because that was fact that I think there was 19 uh, sex workers, dancers, and all that at the club, and he had paid off, I believe, 16 out of the 19. But then to Franz's point with Vince is like 16 out of 19, it won't work because the other three went and sang that song all day long. And it was one fascinating story after another. I mean, yeah, recipe for disaster from the beginning, but that's, it's kind of the price you pay, but also. Or, or don't sexually assault happen, people. Who cares? Huh? Yeah. Don't sexually assault people. Don't, don't rent out your employees. If you're going to pay for sex, pay. Yeah. <laughs> Is maybe t- maybe tip. I don't know. I just I, is that a twenty percent tip kind of thing? I don't. I Do don't know. I'm, I'm just like yeah. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not suggesting you would know, Rachel. I'm just asking the question. I'm I just know. saying, like, when I get a haircut, and I don't have any hair, but when I get a haircut, I tip twenty percent. I don't get my hair cut either, so I don't know. Your hair hair looks magnificent, Rachel Kaufman. I I cut my own hair. I have not gone to a hairstylist or ever. I cut my own hair, babe. Zero dollars. Franz is asking Rachel if she tips her prostitutes and how much. No, but I would. It's like keeping, just like Nathan Wade should have kept his his, um, soon-to-be ex-wife financially happy since he's getting a windfall anyways. Just. Don't create problems in your, I mean, this would have never come out. So the whole point is, you you asked earlier about whether we were surprised that, that, like, to find out that prosecutors would do something so stupid. What I want to say is, what I, it's just, there's, they're, they're conditioned to believe that they're almighty, they're brazen enough to do this kind of stuff. Not all of them, but it's just, it's a culture where, like any gang, they protect themselves, um, they take no absolutely no accountability. They don't require it of each other, and they just protect each other. And well, that, and, and that's the, why and the, that's why this happens. And the slippery slope is sometimes you can get lost in the forest and the tre- between the forest and the trees. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe when I was a prosecutor, and I was a prosecutor for about a year. Um, that's how much I didn't like it, but I could go back to doing it tomorrow. Um, if I didn't believe something happened or if I didn't believe the defendant did something, I wasn't going to prosecute. If I believed it and I really got entrenched and I really believed it, I had to stop myself sometimes because defense attorneys would show me stuff that would possibly exculpate their client. And my, and my internal knee jerk is all oh, that's BS. But if it was good evidence, it was good evidence. Right. So it's like, they start believing themselves and that's yeah, it. It's yeah. It's a slippery and it's difficult. Sometimes it's really difficult. Like today I watched I watched in the Crumbly case, I watched 
a prosecutor perpetuate evidence that had nothing to do with the elements of the crime that was highly prejudicial. He got it in. It was about the swinging, the swingers and the infidelity and all that. And yeah, I get that they were arguing that that she was a bad mom and she was distracted and all that. But as an as an observer, I'm like, why would you create that appellate issue? But in the in the moment, if I was prosecuting her and I wanted them to think that she was a monster, I can't sit here and tell you with 100 percent certainty. I might not have done the same thing. Well, that's a really stupid. Hold on. That's a really stupid move because I'm thinking to myself, no, no, these jurors might be swingers. You did not ask that during jury selection. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't try to vilify something that has nothing to do with this. And you don't know. You know, the, you don't know who these people are. You don't know well, who you're microscopic. So, for example, what I said today on, on Court TV was when you start putting a parent under a microscope, if you have parents on the jury, they're going to start think. Yeah, they're going to start thinking, hey, dude, do you not have kids? Do you not understand that, like, when you're on 24-7 kids, like, you fuck up. Like, I, I, I love my eight-year-old. My eight-year-old is the center of my universe. But like to tell you that I'm the best dad in the world, I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I mean, yeah. like, these people have real issues. They probably should have taken a plea and begged. And they, you know what they should do? They should have, if I was a judge, I would take their plea and I would tell them that I think for accountability's sake, they need to go on a national tour. We can come up with it together where they're going to go to schools and speak about gun violence and what happened and how it, whatever. Go to parenting mm-hmm. Classes. So what I now for for both attorneys though isn't it sort of like the the day one of law school it's kind of like a don't ask a question that you don't know the answer to or sort of thing like would jury selection play into that like we were saying earlier how everyone hates Tom Brady and everybody loves Aaron Rodgers if you go into a courtroom and say that and half of those people on the the jury are Tom Brady lovers you've automatically turned them off whether if you're one on of the them is defense or not. If one of them is, you've turned them off and you don't know if they're a leader or a follower and they could sway the whole jury. So she got so so the attorney, the defense attorney got backed into a corner because the prosecution, most of the case was insinuating that the, the criminal defense attorneys were hiding things, which is in and of itself a reverse. Yeah, hiding a, what? A reverse, yeah, a, a reverse burden, burden shift. Right. Yeah. But but. So I think the the fear was if we don't lean into the stuff that's coming in, right? Um, but they did not voir dire on that. They didn't. I mean, and look, am I comfortable standing up and saying, look, I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag. You're going to hear evidence in this trial that my client, my client is, is, is a swinger, is, is someone who is not only a swinger, but like, or however you're going to phrase it. If, if it's going to come out, though, isn't it better that you bring it out so you can just kind of be like, yeah, it's no big deal. I mean, yeah, I'd be well, like, I'd be like, you're going to tell you things that have nothing to do with the case. We can exactly, discuss them. Like, yeah. it, it might wake you up because you're like, this is actually kind of fun and interesting, unlike the rest of the case, but it has nothing to do with the case. <laughs> I'm now, like, what into I'll, it. What I'll, enjoy. What I'll do is an opening and in voir dire, I'll condition them to to I'll condition them to watch for the prosecutor creating evidence that has nothing to do with the case so that you hate my client. And that hate would be a substitute for proof and a substitute for the elements. And you just keep hammering it. And then in closing, you're like, look, I told you they were going to do it. And that's what they did. Yeah. You know, and look, Rachel, probably people too. Swingers are people. Yeah. Yeah, like Rachel probably doesn't do this, but so I've stood up. Before, yeah, I've I've stood up before 
That's going to be the name of the podcast, by the way. (laughs) We have feelings. We have feelings. I have stood up before in closing arguments on cases where my client was an asshole and everybody knew my client was an asshole and said, look, I'm not going to mince words. If I were sitting where you were sitting, I might think that my client's a jerk. Yeah. You roast them so they don't have to roast him. Yeah. But it doesn't mean he's guilty of anything. And he can be... I'll tell you what's what's not mutually exclusive. He can be an asshole and not guilty at the same time. <laughs> you know what though? I I would say exactly seventy or to eighty percent of people can't separate that. You know, it's like sometimes when you run into somebody who looks like somebody that you hated when you were younger or has the same name. You know, when you're going through the what you're going to name Pretty your nice. children or whatever, you're like you, you can't name them Jen because you know I hated a yeah. Jen in high school. I, I I'd be yeah. I'd be a terrible juror because. It would only take a, a little while or so for you to say something that would turn me off. And then I just I sat like, on a jury. I, this is a fun story. I sat on a jury before I was a, a lawyer. So I was 22 years old and it was a medical malpractice case in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, I remember feeling like, um, I, well, I, there was no medical malpractice was the number one issue. But what they didn't ask about during jury selection was like how we feel about animals or hunting. But the the family, the the daughter of the guy that died, got on the stand and talked about how she loved to go hunting with her dad. And at the time, I was like all in my like super liberal. I still am like animal welfare, animals over humans, treat animals with respect. Um, and I was like, ew, like I, the value of this guy's life went from. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever it being a nice father to being like an evil hunter that like killed Bambi's mom. Asshole. Like, I, yeah, like like and they I, didn't ask about that during jury selection, but they 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 brought it up on the stand as if it was like a good thing that they did together, not even realizing how that would affect a juror and their value of these family. There are human beings. There are human beings, and I sometimes wonder if I'm one of them that like their pets and their dogs and their animals more than other human beings. It depends on the human. I mean, I love I love my dog. My dog is a mini schnauzer. And I got to tell you, I love my mini schnauzer more than I love some other human beings. Oh, hands down. Hands I, I like believe me, I have I have cats that I would take my cat oh. over Alex Murdoch. <laughs> oh, over most people. No. I mean, when I think about like what I would do to someone who tried to hurt my dog, all the all the way I would what the things I would do crazy and then yeah, i get vegetable. that means you're a good like, person I, and i'm like and then i'm gonna get your kids too because it was gandhi gandhi said you can judge the progress of a nation by how they treat their animals they're most vulnerable yeah the most gandhi vulnerable. knew a thing or two <laughs> yeah animals are loyal um humans questionable but um yes yeah, so just small things like that people this don't think why i like coffin that's why I like Rachel Kaufman. You know, so swingers, I used to be sitting on that jury and like I'm not a swinger, but I'm just saying and I'm but I'm just saying that like you say you just you don't know nobody wants their phone data dumped. So they'll like go through people's phones and then use it against them in court, like salacious pictures or like text messages that are like not nice, you know, just they're gross. Like everybody. I mean, I don't I don't need to go through all your phones, but you know what's on your phone. I mean, so, you know what that you know what you would you, find you bad use, even for yeah. good people, you would find bad stuff. So I like mean, that's so the, and it's probably weirder. So like some of you are swingers, it's like, well, at least they're not looking. I mean, imagine them using it against you that you like like to go dress up as a furry. Like yeah. that's that's your business. Well, it doesn't make you a bad parent. So to your point, while I'm on I'm willing to bet that not everybody on that jury is a swinger. 
I'm willing to bet that the infidelity piece, the philandering piece, more people than you might believe have experienced extracurricular activities. And when you start, yeah, and you start casting stone, like I think the pendulum is going to swing the other way for her. And to some degree, there are going to be some jurors that are like, wait, what does this have to do with anything? Like, I'll tell you the thing. Is it just about them providing the guns to him? Is that what it is? It's gross negligence. It's manslaughter, but it's a gross negligence standard. Right. I, kind of it's love like, it though. I think if parents were responsible for what their kids do into maybe until they're 25, maybe people would be uh, less recklessly reproductive. Stop it. I mean, the, stop it. See, but you know what? I, and, and you guys brought it up earlier with the <laughs> jury. You, you start to go down a different path and you start to fill the jury head with a bunch of different shit. And then at the end of the day, they're like, OK, I remember all the facts of the case, but I also remember this person's a horrible human being. And if you yeah. are 50-50 on that, again, that's why I'd be a terrible jury. That that would tip me towards the... Well, well if I were representing Crumbly, which I do, I, I hate guns and I hate parents who think it's okay for their crazy-ass kids to be out here and to make sure that they're not protecting us from them if they know that they're, like, you know, concerning. Um, but in this case, I feel like we were mad at the outcome and the outcome, we're attributing what we now know, like hindsight being twenty twenty to what she should have known at the time that she did what she did. Right. And so I think everyone's kind of like, we we wouldn't have dropped the ball. It reminds me of the Parkland shooter with the, um, the security guards. Like he didn't go, you know, they were, they went after him for not doing, for not trying to protect the kids. It's like, it's to me, the crumbly thing is what was, what was her intent? It has to, they have to have criminal intent. It can't just be that this was the outcome. It's not necessarily a foreseeable outcome. So, so that is the, that's the kicker with a negligent-based crime, right? Gross negligent is not specific intent. It's not general intent. It still has to have some criminal intent to do the act, right? And so, like, what's really frustrating is one of the issues they're bringing up in the case, guys, is uh, guilty conscious by flight. And I'm like, it's a negligence case. Like, it's not a specific intent crime. Guilty conscious, if you're saying that she acted grossly negligent, you're saying that she was – she had a guilty conscience about her gross negligence that she probably wasn't even aware that she, I mean, like it doesn't, like no, I can't. Yeah, it's too much. I'm like, you guys Rachel are disagrees. Shitty, they're just such shitty parents. And no, no, I agree. I agree a hundred percent. I've said it on national TV a few times this week. Are they going to win any parents of the year award? Absolutely not. They're terrible parents. <laughs> I just don't know how I feel. Like, are you going to prosecute the school the school security guy who said, I didn't think he was a risk. I didn't check his weight, his, his bag that had the weighted gun in it. Like, like yeah, hindsight gonna... 2020, we all want it. We all wish we could step in and do yeah. that, but we can't. And right. they, they didn't necessarily, I mean, yeah. Well, yeah. I think, I also think people imagine their own kids misbehaving and then being held responsible for that. And they don't like so that me, either. I got to ask this question because you said something that I agree with, but I wonder. I agree that this should have been played out. My question is, is do you think Michigan, the state of Michigan, allowed them any kind of plea bargaining at all? Do you think they offered him anything? Do you think they were like. There has like, to be creative negotiation. They need creative negotiations. So I bet there was a conversation, but it was probably like prison time. And they're like, no. Um, But if but if, as a defense attorney, you know, I like to offer things that they've never heard of before. Like, you know, my clients will have to write an op-ed or they'll have to, they have to get on TV and do a PSA about what, 
something that's like not wearing a scarlet letter, but they're actually going to try to prevent this so from she, happening. So she is not going to, even if she's convicted, even if she gets jail, she's not spending the rest of her life in jail. She's going to, she has a foreseeable outdate at some point. She's of an age that I think she walks out of prison at some point. So to, to me, to me, you know, and I think she's incarcerated now. I don't think she's out on bond. She might be, but I think she's incarcerated. Um, I just, I don't know. I, I don't know that I would have, I, there had to have been some kind of negotiation. I like the idea of creative negotiations. Yeah, and also um, going non-negotiated and asking the court, like not just accepting whatever the state's offering. And sometimes you can plead guilty. You can plead guilty. The state can ask for what they want and I can propose something different. It sounds it like it would be easier if there wasn't a death involved. Like, but, or multiple. Yeah. Or multiple. I mean, but just how far, you know, we, we all, I want to punish parents. So just like by nature, like I think parents should be punished more often. But is that my own? I mean, I, I'm realizing the cause of it, but is that, was that their intent? And I have to stop myself because I would love just for the kid, whether the parents did it or not. Especially uh, if, if it's not like, uh, you know, it's a low income neighborhood, it's a single uh, mother, this sort of thing. You're right. Like when it happens with somebody who's, you know, well off that has two parents that are still together and all that stuff that does something like this in the 12, 13, 14. I agree that the parents should have to shovel somewhat of some something. So I think you're going to see legislation throughout the United States that specifically codify, specifically criminalize the acts of parents or failure their failure to act um most states have an equivalent like we would have they would be prosecuted for negligent homicide in louisiana it's a zero to five year non-violent crime felony that absolutely would fit this category it's low enough stakes to where even if they got convicted of the zero to five years if they got five years as first offenders assuming they're first offenders they would do a quarter of five years so to take 60 months and divide that by by four, and that's whatever they would do if they got maxed out. But many states don't have this catch-all of, okay, well, we want to prosecute the shooter, and we're, we're doing that. We got a conviction on that. But now we want to prosecute, like, this, this officer who doesn't run into the frame in Florida. In Florida. Or we want to prosecute the shitty parents in Michigan and there, that manslaughter crime just it, my problem is not that I don't think they did a crime. It's it's does that fit? Does their actions fit that crime? Yeah, have, that's have the you issue. Just watered I it down, trying to put everybody involved in jail. You know, right. if, which if, feels if, good if, when you want vengeance. If a thirteen-year-old kid can pick up a gun off the dinner table and go out and shoot somebody, that's on the parents. If he picks the lock on the safe. Well, then the dad, the parents kind of did what they were supposed to do by locking up the weapon. So it's one of those things that would be, it, it, it would be difficult to to break down to figure out who, you know, who's bad and who's not. Well, there should be like a separate system of like the, it's a parental justice system where you're, when your kids are accused, whether you even participate or not, um, the presumption should be that you are responsible and need to take parenting classes and should not be allowed to. Um, continue to have kids until you handle it in my dreams. And, and this is only coming from, listen to me, I saw, I get so far left, I'm right. Remember, that's how far I go um, all the way around the wheel. It's that I really see like the majority, we talk about like the backlog in the system, like we talk about the criminal dockets. I mean, a lot of these kids were were like, the parent couldn't handle the first one or the second one. Like they have multiple kids in prison. Keep going till they, you have a winner. 
<laughs> I mean, it, well, it's, I mean, you need to focus on one or two and give yeah, them your, let's be honest. It's not really difficult to create human beings. I yeah. have not, not I don't know, but it's not, Me but it's either. not, it's not calculus. It's not calculus. Yeah. It's not advanced <laughs> physics. Neither is preventing pregnancy. I've managed I, that. I'm I agree with you a thousand percent. I'm just saying. Yeah, and okay. I, need to I know. Fight. I know. Franz has a bunch to do, and hopefully, uh, just one last thing I that I were going to say. A bunch of shit. I have to go to the like, vet. I only have one that I know of. I only there, have there one that a, I know of. There was one other thing that just came up with uh, that they keep banging the drum with this Alec Baldwin thing. If this is a swing at a civil trial to try to get some money, why are they uh, still going after the? Uh, the not murder charge, but why are they going after? Like, can't they just skip ahead to the civil situation? So the the reindictment seems to be based on he made a comment that he never pulled the trigger. They had the gun, the firearm analyzed, which they had to put modifications on to get it to fire. But that's neither here nor there. And realizing that it had to actually have the trigger pulled to fire, he would have known he pressed the. Right. And so, like, he never should have just me on my soapbox. Why he would get on an interview and say, Oh, I didn't pull the, 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 the Why the say anything? Because <laughs> he's Alec Baldwin. He couldn't not say anything. I mean, the same I, was reason in the hunt, I was in the hunt for Red October, goddammit. <laughs> no, when people play sports, even when they hit the ball out in like basketball, they immediately point at the other person when they know that it was them. They don't, that's what it's like a human nature to just be like, Not me. No. Not yeah, me. if you look at if you look at a lot of things like maybe we talked about Tiger Woods earlier, you might notice after all that shit went down, he disappeared for two or three years, didn't say a word about anything, and he came back. People still love him because everybody loves a comeback kid. <laughs> we love Vick. Michael Jackson. We Michael love Michael. Vick. Michael, Jackson. Michael Vick as a dog lover. The guy's a monster. He's La- last monster. piece though. Here's Kept my question. Mouth shut, I went with. to jail, disappeared, came back, signed in, got another hundred million dollar contract because he didn't go out there running his mouth. Like I want to electric prod him though a little bit. Right. Rachel, here's my question. Yep. Can I separate the art from the artist? Can I love and cherish Michael Jackson music while simultaneously not loving Michael Jackson? No. Yes. Yes. <laughs> no. Yes. And you can step in the name of love to R. Kelly. Do y'all thing. I am. I'm a huge. I actually have like a whole playlist of people that I that are supposed to be canceled that I still listen to. Rachel, and what, it's about, a uh, what about the magic <laughs> that is Aaron Rodgers playing football aside from the person? <laughs> Why don't. Oh, can I. Oh, I. Aaron Rodgers, when he went, yeah, when he started talking about all that vaccine stuff, and I used to love Kyrie too. I just they just got a little weird on me. But Aaron Rodgers just seems like he just can't get along with anybody. Um, Tom Brady's just, I'm. It's more of like a jealousy. Like, how are you that attractive and like a quarterback and like married to just? I mean, I think it's more everyone's envy that makes people dislike whatever dislike I have of Tom Brady. It's because it's like jealousy. In the Boston, not that I want to be a man with a, I don't, just saying. <laughs> Would you go right. on a date? Hold, hold on. Would you go on a date with Tom Brady? Me? Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, I actually would. I mean, I, I would I'd never take seriously. I would never take seriously that he wanted to go on a date with me. Why not? I would take. I'd let him take me to a nice dinner. Yeah, he's like a senior. He's like the senior quarterback in high school, and you're like a freshman with like braces on. That's what it's like. With, I mean, he's just like. He should run for office. Yeah, it's like she's all that. Tom Brady, she's all thatting. Rachel Cox. He's a freaking Ken doll. Oh my God. Freddie Prince Jr. That yeah, kid. That was one. so good. Remember, she kid. takes hey, off her glasses Freddie and Prin- everyone realizes she's beautiful. <laughs> Do you know what Freddie Prince Jr. does now? He was he just- writes for WWE wrestling. Really? He's creator. He, he Google it. 
it, he he's a writer for wrestling now. Look at him go. So is not Mark Wahlberg. There was somebody else that was in the WWE creative team that I was. Isn't isn't Freddie Prince? Who's Freddie Prince married to? Sarah Michelle Gellar, Buffy yeah. the Vampire Slayer. Buffy the you. Vampire. Okay, we could do this all day, but I know. Rob okay, okay. Work. We say goodbye. If you to- want more of what you have heard or seen today, check out Rachel Kaufman on Twitter at RK Real Talk or on Instagram at underscore Rachel Kaufman. Uh, you can also use the international network to Google her, Rachel Kaufman with one F. And if you need some legal advice in Georgia, check out www.rachelkaufmanlaw.com. And uh, speaking of <laughs> extra, for an extra helping of Franz in Louisiana, Fraun. visit www.borghartlawfirm.com on Twitter at Borghart Law, or just also use the internet to Google him. Borghart, uh, Franz Borghart Law. Thank you guys so much and have a great day. Oh my God. Such a great idea. And Franz, I love you, man. I know I need to come to Baton Rouge because in the words of Boosie Badass, this is, I wish this could be my intro. They call me badass and I punish them. That's what he, that's what the rapper. Have you been to, have you been to New Orleans? No. I don't. You would love New Orleans. You would love New Orleans. I know. I want to hang out with like the old guys in the corner at the gas station. Like music, what... music. I, uh, you, we'll get into it later. All right, bye guys. All right, you guys have four, a good it's day. Four twenty four. Four twenty. I gotta go. Rachel, bye. thank you so much, Franz. Thank you. That was awesome. You guys rock. <laughs> good luck at the vet. I hope it's nothing serious.